0: Welcome to another mandate. Pornography is a subject that makes a lot of people uncomfortable to talk about, and that's exactly why we need to talk about it. That and more with our friends Nate and Maggie Blaylock, owners of Known Counseling Services. And welcome to another Mandate, my friends. So glad you're joining us today. I'm Joe Obermuller, and I'm here as always with my very good friend, Mr. Ben Kroosh.
1: What's up, everybody? That gets a little higher every time. I like it, Ben. Thank you very much. It's my new calling. I like it. Hey, uh,
0: we've got some great guests today talking about a subject that was one of the original inspirations for this podcast. We really hoped we would be able to get to... A place in our in our programming to talk about pornography and to talk about how that affects our lives and um and we didn't know at the time how we were going to get there or, or what would be the segue to that but uh there's been some divine choreography in making that happen and we're just so happy to have Nate and Maggie Blaylock with us this morning and uh we're just going to have a, a great conversation so thanks for being here you guys
2: you bet
3: yeah we're excited
0: Uh, Nate and Maggie are owners of Known Counseling Services. Do you want to just describe a little bit about what that is?
3: Yeah. Known Counseling Services is just a private practice uh, counseling agency here in town that we opened up. Um, Our primary... You know, we treat people for all sorts of mental health, anxiety, depression, but the primary thing that we focus on is sexual addiction, pornography addiction, and betrayal trauma that goes in hand with those issues.
0: Yeah. Okay. Ben, this is something you and I have talked about for as long as we've been friends, just uh, the way pornography has affected our lives. And uh, and I'm, I'm just convinced 100% that we need to talk about this more because- if uh, if you're listening to this and you don't you don't struggle with pornography or that hasn't affected your life there are there are people around you that uh, that it is and uh, and I think we just need to to be better at bringing this to the table and talking about it no question
1: I th- I truly believe that uh, it has affected every single male at least in America or for sure in my relational world and The reason why is we've almost normalized it, like it's part of becoming a man, is seeing a naked woman or a naked man, whatever you're into. Um, And unfortunately, it's almost like become a fist bump. Like, oh, you do it? Oh yeah, me too. And I can see why in an adolescent's brain and all of your hormones, why you would think that that's okay But the problem is that there are repercussions that when you're 12, 15, 18, you don't understand that it's starting to become an addiction and it's going to affect multiple parts of your life, which is exactly why we want to talk about it because Joe and I have experience in this.
0: Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting to think about that as you were talking about just being exposed to that and, and having that kind of rewire your brain about how you think about uh, women. Um, that that's really true and it's it's not something that that changes when you get older. you know like this is something that that is true and it, and it can always be a secret if you want it to be. and that that just will wreak havoc on your life. And I remember when I was I was probably seven or eight, I don't know exactly the age, but I was a young boy, man. And uh, that was my first exposure to porn pornography. And um, I, I had a friend who, who just had magazines and stuff at his house, and I, that was my first exposure to that. And I look back on that, and I know that that was, that moment was the first moment of, of my brain rewiring what I thought about women. and uh, And then since then, just seasons of my life of, of dealing with this in different ways. Um, and, and I'm just so grateful that I've had other men in my life to talk to about this and, and confess this to, and thanks be to God that that's been true. Cause I, that saved me, you know, it's, it's freed me from it. And I think about, I'm with, I'm with college students a lot and I know that access to pornography is so much easier now than it, than it was when I was in college. And I know for a fact that if I was a college student right now, I would just be crushed. I would be absolutely crushed by this. And so um, I'm excited for so many reasons to get
1: into the subject. Yeah, no question. So let's transition this over to our guests. So Nate and Maggie, once again, thank you for being on the podcast. The reason why you're here is is one, you have a powerful testimony. Number two is you provide access to help and know that it's out there. So let's get right into it. Nate, tell us about your story. Where did it start? Hmm. Where did it hit the floor? And then the uprising into the man that you are today.
2: Yeah. Loaded question. Um, I don't think I can overstate it when I say that pornography and its impact on me quite literally ruined my life. I, I can say that with confidence when I look back at the story of my life and the role that pornography's played. And I wish that I could say something different about it, um, and I wish I could trade how I got to where I am today. But at the same token, I wouldn't trade my journey for anything because it made me exactly who I am today, and and I, I'm appreciative of that. You know, my, my story with pornography started very very similar. You know, Joe, you mentioned. I mean, I can. I was probably 12 or 13. I remember at an early age just that first um, exposure to pornography. I mean, I grew up in the church. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and so um, yeah, religion and Christianity for me was also a big a big part of my life, and you know, I look back and I can see now that there was, I had i had loving parents who cared for me well, you know, but as I look back, there was a lot around performance and rules and have it all together, you know, related to just, you know, don't show weakness, don't act like, don't show that you're struggling. And so I, when I started this journey and, you know, I first Exposure to pornography was 13, and I remember like, this is interesting, right? Like, I, I remember feeling differently, and slowly, I mean, I kind of started this journey of this one area of my life that was never really talked about in my home, never really talked about at church or at school, um, outside of like, ooh, you know? So it was this t- almost taboo subject, that, and looking back, I think that had a really massive impact, you know, as a, because sex wasn't something that was discussed a lot or comfortable. um, I didn't really have the freedom, I think, to talk to anybody in my life around like, Hey, here's my experience. Here's what I'm going through. Is this normal? And so I, I, I was left to feel like that I was the only one struggling with it because it wasn't talked about. And so I felt like I had this area of my life that was there and I can look back and see that it slowly continued to grow. But, you know, I I felt bad about it. I wanted to stop, you know, and use the word addiction earlier. And I know that's a shocking word, right? Like, Oh, I don't have a porn addiction, but when you think about the definition for addiction, it's anything that we want to stop, but we continually go, go back to. Right. And, I think about how that's played into my life related to pornography. And I wonder for some of the people listening, it's like, well, yeah, I have said I was going to stop or wanted to stop or realize I feel ashamed afterwards, which isn't a healthy thing. And, but yet here I am. It just continually comes back up. Right. And so, you know, I had that focus on, on performance, I think, and trying to have it all together in my life. It continued to be an area as I went through high school and into college that it was just hidden. I mean, I didn't really talk about it with anybody. I remember uh, for me going to college and all of a sudden I had more access than I ever had. Like dating myself a bit here, but I remember having access to high-speed internet for the first time in the college dorm room. And that was a game changer for me. And all of a sudden I was going back to it more you know, more regular occurrences of pornography. But yet, I would continually say, like, I don't want to do this. I don't like the way this makes me feel. But I would keep doing it. And I remember saying, like, well, when I have a committed relationship, I bet this will stop. Like, when I'm able to be in a committed relationship, or I get married, have access to sex, this this will totally stop. But I met my fantastic bride, uh, freshman year, the University of Mobile in Alabama. And we began this awesome relationship. And before I knew it, we got married. And guess what? It didn't stop. This area of my life continued to be there and grow. And you know, the thing that we know now about pornography and other things is that it usually always progresses. Right? We need more of the same thing in order to feel the same level of normal. Right? And there's so much fascinating research about the brain and what it does to our brain that we know now that we had no idea, you know, back in the day. And so it continued to progress for me. Um, I found myself in a situation where eventually for me, pornography and how it was making me feel. Wasn't enough, and I began to cross boundaries that I said I would never cross, and that include after I was married, looking for pleasures wherever I could find them outside of my marriage. Um, through affairs, through texting, and it, it progressed so quickly, and there there's a lot more that I can share kind of on the back end, but I, Maggie, I want to bring you into the story because obviously you were a part of all of that, and your perspective. Um, just as we were in a committed relationship, you know, you had no idea that was there and just maybe talk a little bit about that from your perspective.
3: Sure. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, when we were engaged, I remember one time, um, finding something on your computer and being told it was a roommate's right. And I remember like, this is the, I trust this guy. I love him. He loves me. He treats me so well. So I had no reason not to believe that, um, and so I did. I, I I knew very little of it going into marriage. Um, just thought that I had met the most amazing Christian dude. And so six months into marriage, uh, finding it on our computer, there was no longer the ability to blame that on a college roommate. And so when I had found images on the computer, and I remember asking him about it, and him saying, "Nope, not me." At first, the denial, and just um had the i had the ability to kind of press into that and say like it's it's not me there's no one else it could be and so he finally was able to say like okay so this is a thing that i do and i um your dad was battling cancer at the time and so we were going through a lot of family stuff and i remember you telling me back then this is not about you This is, you know, I get anxious or I, this is like I, you were saying, you were trying to tell me this is how you cope. And even then I didn't have the ability to know or no light bulb went off saying that this is a possible addiction. Um, We did even go to counseling for a while. Uh, I think, I think we did four sessions. We did the whole, we're going to come in for a few sessions until we feel a little better. And then we're going to say it's good. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I did feel better after that. I felt like I was so shocked and crushed. I mean, it was gut-wrenching to think we're, we're six months into marriage. I'm upstairs in our, in our apartment. Like I, I'm willing, you know, to give you whatever you want. And you're choosing late at night to be on the computer. It just, it didn't make sense to me. Mm. I felt like I wasn't good enough. Yet I knew like I was kind of in my prime as far as physically fit. And I, I couldn't figure out why you would choose that over me upstairs. And I just didn't get it. And I was so crushed. I felt so alone. I felt like if I told my Christian friends, they would judge us. I felt like they would judge, judge you. And um, I felt like if I told my friends who I had grown up with who maybe weren't um, in the Southern Baptist Christian, Christian community that we were in, that they would downplay it and act like it was no big deal. Um, and so I just felt completely isolated and alone. I didn't feel like I could tell our parents, there's just no one I could really talk to about this subject. It just, it was horrible. Um, so counseling really helped because I talked and, and I got to say how I feel, but I think at that point it was spiraling into more for you and, um, I didn't know that I felt better. But that counselor did not um, have the ability to tap into the word addiction. Um, And so I felt better. I thought like we were good. We put new guidelines and rules and boundaries in place. We put filters on our devices. Um, And what I think you learned was this is crushing her and she can't know what else is going on. And so I knew a sliver of the tip of the iceberg But I didn't know anything else. And so that, you know, we went five more years in marriage. We had two children Mm. as life was really spiraling out of control for you.
1: Okay. So, Nate, let's go there. Um, Because I think the story that needs to be heard is what Joe and I were talking about at the very beginning, which is it can start as harmless child play. What it will likely turn into if you choose this path, right? Everyone in life has choices and that choice is very accessible and we can make it a selfish choice where we're not hurting anyone else. But what happens is you set precedent for the rest of your life and you get into a committed relationship and if you're not talking about it with other people, then there are consequences. So you had consequences. That's right. What were, what did it start off as porn? Mm-hmm. You've mentioned affair, affairs. Yep. What does that, how does, how does that happen?
2: Yeah. You know, you guys both mentioned something just related to, it starts off as one thing. And then what I didn't realize at the time was I was using this as a coping mechanism. You know, porn is a pacifier for something. And I couldn't see it, I couldn't see that this is what I was using to cope with the negative feelings, the negative thoughts, um, and it, it, it absolutely continued to progress, and um, you know, when my, my dad got sick, I see, I can look back now and realize that was kind of a catalyst to just send me in a darker spot and a darker hole. And I was learning to cope and use things in my life. You know, again, meanwhile, I had a dream job. I was successful at work. I was on stage every Sunday at a huge church helping lead worship, right? So like, it's not like I had this dual life. It's not like, you know, my whole life was just, I was a hermit in my room. That's the most interesting thing about this. But I had this kind of complete two separate lives going on where nobody really knew the true me. I was not opening up that part of my life to anybody. And so that, that, as things typically happen, when we keep them in the dark, they grow. And it continued to grow for me. And I, I you know, eventually pornography wasn't enough. I was looking for that dopamine hit and pleasure wherever I could find it. I crossed lines that I said I never, ever, ever was going to cross. And that included affairs, uh, multiple affairs. and And I remember one day, um, I mean, our whole, our whole life changed. Like we had a knock on the door that began the process of exposing all of my lies. I, I couldn't keep everything hidden anymore. the Separate life. I was leading that mind you, I didn't want to lead. I can't tell you how many times throughout this whole journey I was, I never, I'm, I'm never going to return to that again. Never going to do it. It's the last time, but yet I would find myself not only there, but deeper and darker than I ever wanted to go next time. And that process, that knock on the door that exposed things in our lives and helped unwind and unravel the ball of lies that I had begun to weave over the course of our relationship was, was gut-wrenching. And um, it sobered me up pretty quick, but, you know, y- you left... Uh, Maggie mm-hmm. took the kids and, and left. And so I found myself all of a sudden in a very short amount of time, I had lost a career. I had lost my family as a result of, I remember, I remember looking back going like, how did this happen? Like I was a, was a good kid that wanted to do the right things. I felt it called a ministry when I was like in eighth grade. How did my life end up here? And and that, that day and that knock on the door changed everything.
3: Yeah. Um that that was the worst day of my life. Um
1: can you Maggie, can you walk through as much as you're comfortable talking about what that day looks like?
3: Yeah. Um You know, I did not know that he was spiraling and I had no idea that the secret component of his life. In fact, I would regularly, we would check in and I would ask him about, you know, have you looked, we've got a new computer, we've got this software. Um, And he would say, nope, nothing. I'm great. It's great. Um, Well, and
2: and let me just say and add add on to that. When we went through counseling the first time, I remember, you know, like you got 80% of the truth out, right? And it's like, okay, I feel so much better but looking back it if there's still something that's in the dark and components of it it still has the same power that it had over you to begin with right that's and right. so that almost was worse for me that i realized like oh i can't now ever let the big deep dark secrets out right and so it 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 really pushed us in a, a negative direction looking back because i wasn't willing to face and be authentic about exactly what was going on
3: yeah um, you know, and so I remember at the six month mark when we were in counseling thinking, you know, pause here. Should we should I stay? Is this a marriage worth staying in? Right. And um, kids, we had these life goals. And, you know, I just I thought I thought we were good. I thought things were good. And so we had had a baby. Um, we had had a second baby the next year. And so that knock on the door that Nate talks about that ultimately was the exposing component that made me go, wait a minute, this things don't match up here. I had a one-and-a-half-year-old asleep in a crib in his room, and I had a four-week-old little girl in my arms when the knock on the door hits, um, and I – so I, I hear – the story, you know, someone's ha, knows stuff and is out to expose him, and and I hear that, and I just remember thinking, um, this isn't it. Like, so, I don't, I can't explain it other than the Holy Spirit, like, took the veil off, and like any bit of um, denial that maybe existed was gone. And I just remember that night saying, "There's more. This isn't adding up. There's more." And so I started kind of piecemealing this story with that story, and he would say some. Um, we had two friends who came over who were just so huge in our lives to walk us through this period. Um, and they, they were with us during that and helped us kind of helped me have the courage to just say, I don't believe you to, to look your husband in the eye and say, I don't believe you. Mm. I don't believe what you're telling me right now. There's more. I know there's more. Um, and gosh, I think, I think that we stayed up all night that first night. I think the knock was at 10 at night and we hashed through our life history until five in the morning. Um, And by the end of that night, I thought I knew, I thought I knew all of it because there was so much that like, how could there be anything else? It was like people I had known and um, just, times that I thought were like pure guy fun that maybe weren't there was just so much there on top of you know regular pornography use and inappropriate text messages there's just so much there um and I I just was shocked I was shocked I was, I was probably a zombie for a solid month um you know the denial process is hard um because I think to live a double life, there there is this compartmentalizing of it. Like you just put it over in the corner and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And then you shift back into being a husband. And, and you know, the crazy thing was, is like, Nate was such a good husband. He treated me so good. He never like verbally was mean to me or abusive or anything. So and, and probably now I look back and see maybe some of that was the guilt of like knowing what he was doing, that he would come home and, and be um, pretty good. I mean, there were some components I can look back on of like selfishness and, not being necessarily a hard worker, but like, that was it, right? And I could put up with that because he was so loving and kind and such a great Christian dude that I could put up with like, he doesn't work as hard as I would like him to around the yard, you know? So it was like, um, I I just, I had no idea that this component was here in his life. But so it took about a solid month of like, Me piecing more details together and me saying like, wait, this doesn't match up with that and this doesn't match up with that. We'd gone to um, two counselors, two different ones who we were trained in like maybe compulsivity. We didn't know still that like the addiction component was a thing. And when we'd sat between these two different counselors, they just gave us these wide eyes. Like they were shocked by our story, which is not a good sign when you sit with a helper for them to look at you. Um, one of the therapists actually um, – told me that I should consider putting like a tracking device on his car. And I just knew that wasn't healthy for me. And I didn't know much, but I knew that I would be compulsive myself then with tracking his every move. Um, And so I remember leaving that appointment and uh, calling my friend and crying. And she called our pastor's wife. And then by another God intervention, um, Mm -hmm. my pastor's wife called me and said, I don't know why I didn't think of this before. Because we did bring our pastor in on our story, I think, the next day. We had brought our friends in that night. We brought our pastor and his wife in the next morning. And and they were so like the hands of God to us and really helped walk us through. Um, just the church showed up for us where we lived and was really loving to us. But my pastor's wife said, you know, I have this friend. And she's a counselor in a different state, but she's what's called a CSAT, and I'd never heard that term before, which is a certified sexual addictions therapist. And by that night, I was on the phone with this CSAT, and she told me, you know, this is a thing. Unfortunately, like what you're dealing with sounds pretty to the T sexual addiction. Um, and, and she just gave me some ways that I could self-care And she talked to me about boundaries and kind of, um, you know, I started to come out of my own denial because we were a month in at that point and he still was living in the home at that point. And as I um, heard about what treatment might look like and that we could go do intensive work and that he maybe really needs some in-depth treatment and with the lies and the years of the lies that maybe even a part of that would be a polygraph for his treatment um, to break his denial and really get all of those secrets he'd had out on the table and also give me a chance to know that I know everything and make my own decision whether I would want to stay or not, um, that, that led to like him saying, okay, so there is more, right? And so yeah. that was what led to me saying, I, you got to go. And if I'm honest, you guys, it was ugly. Um, It wasn't like a beautiful, you gotta go. It was Mm -hmm. like hands down the walls, breaking pictures, rage, Mm -hmm. hurt, a ball on the floor. You know, my friend having to take my kids out of the house because I can't function. It it was pure rage. It was just so ugly. And I I think the exact words were, I'll give you a half an hour. I'll drive around for half an hour. And if you come... If there's anything of yours left, I'll burn it, I think was what I, I said. Just, I
0: appreciate so much knowing the truth of that moment because it, it's a really, I, I have so many different emotions about it because what, what our listeners can't see is that you're sitting here together and talking about this together and, and I can't wait to talk about that uh, later um, because what you've just described is such an overwhelming moment that almost always happens in, in private. And no one ever knows the truth about what that situation is like. And so I'm really thankful, first of all, that you described it that way because, um, it relates to something you said earlier about when you first found out about this sort of thing and and feeling really isolated and alone. You couldn't talk to your Christian friends. You couldn't talk to your Mm -hmm. non-Christian friends. You couldn't, you couldn't really talk about it. And, um, and it made me remember that all of those people that that you couldn't talk to about that I couldn't talk to about you know all those things are struggling with the same thing right. and so so the the idea that that uh you know Christians have it all together and um are somehow uh you know exempt from uh dealing with these kinds of things is so false and I c- I can say that because I am one of those uh one of those kids too that was re- it was really important to me to be to be good and be yeah. Uh, and never get in trouble. And so I, I was just an expert at hiding sin and hiding anything that was wrong in my life. And, uh, and I'm tempted toward that all the time. Still, I still want to look like I have it all together. I, I really do. And it's like having that self-awareness to say and, and grace to say, I really don't every day. I, I don't have it together. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so how, was it was it talking to the counselor what what sort of broke the perception of of that of of realizing actually keeping this in the dark is is making it worse and for you realizing maggie for you realizing um i'm i'm isolated and alone what finally like pushed you to reveal it cuz now now it's it's a different narrative of, of where you where you're at in in the story what was the first thing that sort of tipped you to know that?
3: I, I think for me, because, um, the first time, like there, there's also this, like, it's just porn. He's not actually cheating on me. Right. Six months in. And so I felt like I can't really tell anybody about that. Cause it's not bad enough that we need help. I, I, I just didn't give my, I didn't give credit to this situation. Um, and, and so that was also gut wrenching because I thought, well, he's not cheating on me. It's not that bad, but it, feels in my gut like he is choosing something else over me which is what adultery is and so um that was you know really hard the first time I think the second time when crisis really hit and it was more than that I knew I needed help like I knew we couldn't do this on our own and so um to go ask for friends to come over um it feels like out of body to look back on now, but I just knew. And i, I the only thing I can say is that it was God's intervention maybe to say, go, go get your friend. Um, I, I went to their house and knocked on their door and said, can you come over? Um, and they did. And then the next morning they said, we should call our pastor and bring them here. and And they came. And they were phenomenal to us. I just, I thought... If they tell me some cliche like Jesus forgave, so you should forgive him, I was ready to throw my middle fingers up and get my kids in the car and go. Um, But my pastor was just so good about um, talking about sin and um, boundaries. He talked to me about boundaries and how um, what I really needed to do was just seek after what God had for me, not us, me. And follow that or that I would be facing kind of the same kind of life problems differently. But as Nate, if I didn't really seek out what God had for me, I think the final really break for us, though, was getting in touch with a counselor who was trained in this, who finally didn't look at me with giant eyes and give me, you know, oh, I don't know. But instead said, this is a thing. Here's the plan if he wants to do it, this is what he should do. This is what we'll do. And if he doesn't do it, you know, you got to think about boundaries and your own safety. Mm -hmm. And, um, she talked to me about things I was in denial in, like, like getting an STD test. You know, you just don't think you're gonna have to do that ever when you're married and have two little babies. Um, she talked to me about things. She really helped me open my eyes that like, cause even in that he was still so nice and loving. And all of a sudden in this month, he's taking care of things, and he's doing great things. And um, and we were talking and having intimacy, emotional intimacy, probably for really the first time in our marriage. So it kind of felt good, even though we were in crisis. And she really helped me kind of break the denial of that. Like, that's good, but that's not it. You got more work to do. Yeah. And she kind of helped me say, like, get, get out of la-la land here and face what's kind of really going on. And then that really...
2: Yeah. And, and for me, it was the realization that my life had officially i made a mess of my life, and I couldn't put it back together. And, I, you know, I remember that awareness of just, like, what did I do? And, you know, even in that those first few weeks, I told, like, I was good at most of the truth, but I still had some things that I wasn't, that I was holding on to. And looking back, it was such a horrendous time, but there was so much grace in that as well that we got to that CSAT, and she was like, I would recommend, we're going to walk through a process called a full disclosure. And I would recommend even a polygraph. And, and that's not everybody's story, but that boundary of like, I can't run from this anymore. I've made a mess of my life and I can't run from it anymore was looking back. It was grace in my life because it forced me out into the open. The, most, the areas of my life that I was like, taking this to the grave, right? Nobody's ever going to know about this, was now forced into the light. It, extremely uncomfortable. Worst thing I've ever been through, not even close in my life. But it, it forced all that out in the open. And so Maggie then could have an opportunity to say, okay, I know everything. And it was a, it was a long process. I mean, it was months of separation months of, I don't think this is going to work. But I I once, it's like for the first time when I let that out in the light, it lost its power for the very first time in my life. And I had some awesome friends that came around me and provided real authentic friendship and accountability around some of the hardest things I'd, I'd never talked about with other people before. And it began this process of, I mean, I went to several different intensives, like on my own, I had to get some help around this. And it slowly began the process for me of trying to to establish health for the first time. And I look back on that. uh, I'm thankful that it took that to get there.
0: In the next episode, uh, we're going to talk more about Kind of the, the post discovery of, of all of these things. We're, we're sort of dancing right on that line right now of talking about that. And I'm really excited to do it, but I know that we're going to need more time to do that. Um, but, but one thing that I want to just kind of uh, m- maybe gear us toward wrapping this episode up is, is uh, a comment about something I've heard both of you say early on. Like, even when, and for me, and I know for, for Ben and so many others, there's that feeling of like trying to justify what you're doing. And, and maybe minimize what you're doing, but that gut feeling that you're talking about where, where you just, there's just something about it that you know isn't, isn't right, you know? And there's a difference between feeling convicted and feeling condemned. And, uh, and to me, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to dig those things up and, uh, and that feeling of like, gosh, this doesn't seem, there's something about this that just doesn't feel right. That, that conviction is something that, that I think God uses to lead us toward himself and toward restoration and, and forgiveness. And, and uh, I say that because I know that there are people listening to this podcast right now who are, who are living in the dark, and and they are, they are sitting in their car right now. I don't know where you are right now, folks, but but this is really uh, imp- hitting pretty hard. Um, and so maybe I was hoping maybe we could wrap up on the th- that there actually is good news here, yeah. and uh, and we'll we'll talk more about that in the next episode.:
3: I think what you're talking about is shame, right? I mean, that's the word that you're describing when I hear you say that. And I think a pivotal component for us and our health was when we were forced to tell people, and we were received. You you don't tell people because you think I would be rejected. But to be known and to be received is such healing power. And it's it's foolish because our, our Creator already knows us. We are kidding ourselves that we think we're hiding it. But when we do that with other humans, that was pivotal in our healing, and, and ultimately why we named our practice Known Counseling Services.
2: Yeah, and you know, to me, there's this what we know about the brain too related to this is like when we're using anything in our lives to numb or or run to, to escape, to get a, whatever, dopamine hit so we can feel better, that without knowing it, we're numbing. Well, you can't just numb the bad things in your life without numbing the good things as well. And so, you know, use the word in the dark there. I had no idea, and I'm excited to talk about this in the next, the next episode. I had no idea when I started to, for the first time, Not use pornography, not use something in a negative way to run the level of health that I was experiencing for the first time and level of feelings, like good feelings. Like I was numbing all the bad stuff, but I was numbing all the good stuff as well. And I started, like this fog started to lift, and I had no idea how much it was impacting me. Like, granted, Absolutely the behaviors that it caused, but just like as a person mentally, I had no idea what it was doing to me. Cause you, you say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's just every now and then, right. I'm just a guy it's normal, but it was affecting me in such a massive way and preventing me from being the best version of myself. Not even close.
1: So I think where we need to wrap up, and these are just a couple things that need to be out in the air. One is you need to understand that you have a problem, an issue, right? And you can't just prayer these things away. You can't just tell a buddy and expect him to be like, I'll pray for you, man. I'm going to pray for you. And now it's going to go away.
2: And I tried that, by the way. Of (laughs) course you did. And I think
1: most people do. I think we have this self-talk that says what you said. I, 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 I had the exact same thought. Nate in my journey with pornography once I get married it's gonna go away I'm gonna have access to sex whenever I want it's gonna go away that stuff doesn't happen people it stays there you've put it there you have put it on a bridge right to your genitals and it's a good feeling so you thinking you can internalize it compartmentalize it or tell a couple people and just say I'm gonna pray about this or wait for the next step No people, there's action. You have to take action. And guess what? Action is available. It's accessible. And Maggie, I love what you said, is that you are going to be received. There are going to be repercussions for your actions. Yes. But there's also going to be rejoice. And if, I love what you said, Nate, you talk about lifting a fog, right? And it's off of the bad and the good. You're, you're, you are not letting yourself get to a place where you need to go as a human being, as a male or a female. Yeah. And so understand, everyone, that you have an issue. Talk to someone about it and understand that there are services and people out there that are going to welcome you with open arms and not say, I'm going to pray for you. Or go throw a tracker. Or go go to a polygraph, right? There, there Every journey is going to be a little totally. bit different right? This is your guys' journey. And we have to understand as a society. Maggie said this before we even started recording and I wish we I wanted to bring it up. There was a drug pandemic in the 80s and the 90s. There is a pornography pandemic right now. People open up your mouths and start talking about it. Because if you don't, you're gonna, your marriage is gonna suffer. Your, Your relationship with another human being is going to suffer. You're going to Put that stuff on your kids, right? That's going to be generational sin to their grandkids. Understand that your decision in this pandemic is going to affect lives forever if you don't deal with it today. And understand that there we are waiting for you with encouragement and love. And you don't have to feel shame anymore. Yeah, and we're it, here.
0: I think it's important to remember that, you know, and I... I was confused about this the whole time too, that that lust and these kinds of temptations aren't, they are things that we do. Yeah, they are behavior, but it's not something that I can stop. It's like when I think about the lust that I experience in lusting after things, I, how, I mean, I can't decide this week to not do that. I'm just going to stop doing that, that, this behavior thing. Um, it, it requires some a, a greater power than what you have in yourself. And the good news is that there is one who can take these things from us and, and begin to bring restoration and healing. And I, and I know that there are folks listening to this that might need to take that step before they listen to the next episode. <laughs> so, uh, how, how could they take that step with, with you to Maggie and Nate?
3: Well, you can find us at www.knowncounselingservices.com. We're right here in Sioux Falls. So anyone in the state of South Dakota, I can do telemental health with. And Nate is a licensed coach, um, focused in recovery as well. And he can see anyone nationwide. So you certainly can reach out to us. And if, if we're not the right people to help you, our goal is not to see everybody. We can't. But our goal is to put a little dent into this pandemic. And so if we're not the right people to help you, we will put you in contact with services that are, or at least books, referrals, uh, help groups. There's so much out there for people that we're just unaware of. So if we're not right for you, we'll help find what is.
2: Yeah. And there's some free tools out there. You know, like if you're thinking about this, like, I, I don't know, I haven't really thought about it that way. Maybe it is affecting me more than I ever thought it was. There's some free tools out there. You know the the SAS is one of them and we've got access to that and can help pass that on. It's just, you know, a a quiz to say, we're, you know, is this, is this maybe more of a problem than you're letting on? That's a great step to take because then it's like, okay, well maybe it is. And what, what's the best next step I can take? Because you guys all hit on it. We're, we're better together. We, this, this needs to be talked about. You can't fight this battle on your own. And so take that step, find somebody trusted in your life whether it's a professional like ourselves or just somebody that you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling. I just want to talk about it a little bit and get it out of the open.
0: Well, thanks a lot for beginning this conversation with us. Uh, it's just been really great and I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the next episode too, so this is part one of, of two, uh, two episodes. Um, and so we're looking forward to that. Ben, there might be some folks that want to reach out to
1: us about this or other things uh how do they do that that's right so we will plaster uh all of this all over all of our social media Uh, so there'll be websites there'll be some tools that we will help uh, get mate nate and maggie out there okay Uh, but you can obviously email us at mandate.pod at gmail.com and we can get you in touch with them Uh, obviously you can find us on instagram at mandate pod, and on Twitter at PodcastMandate.
0: Thanks for joining us for another Mandate. We'll see you next time.